0: At this time when the airwaves are full of the great protracted contest of power in Washington, this Feast of Christ the King, the last service of the Christian year, raises basic issues for us, issues of power and authority. We proclaim that at the end of time, Christ and Christ alone will be King and Lord in this world. Since that is so. What does christ's kingship bring with it for us here and now in the ancient world kings had power in the light of christ's kingship who has the authority to use power in our world and for what purposes i think that most of us americans are very ambivalent about power and its uses this country was founded on rejection of the view that either kings or bishops have any divine right to power. It has long been common to have contempt for politicians, suspicion of religious leaders, skepticism about claims to authority. Even on the level of the family, we seem to be very ambivalent about power and authority. We know of parents who on one hand are authoritarian, even brutally abusive, We know of other parents who cannot say no, or set limits, or teach their children to respect them. Where do you, I, and get the authority to use whatever power you and I have? What right do I, as a teacher, have to fail some students and pass others? What right do I have here to stand this morning and share these words with you? You who are in business and have to make economic decisions which affect other people's lives, You who have served in the armed services and had to give orders, who gave you the right? What about our president? Who gave him the authority of government in this country? To the last of those questions, the standard American response is that the people did. Our constitution was written by people whose English ancestors had put one king to death and later fired another king and hired a fresh one. Our forebears in this country had carried out a revolution which put a permanent end to having kings at all. Our country's constitution assumes that power belongs to the people and that our president's authority or that of the Congress or the courts comes from the people. Behind that principle, one can still recognize the logical brain of John Locke, the philosopher who thought that all authority originally rests in free, rational, individual people, and that only when people freely grant their authority to anyone else can that authority be valid. But where do the people themselves get their authority from? Locke, like all the later framers of the American Constitution, thought that it was an endowment from God. God gives people rational minds and free wills, and the authority and dignity accompanying them, because God created them in God's own image. Our own authority is God's gift. I think that's part of the equation that a lot of us in this country, and sometimes I have been forgetting. On this Feast of Christ the King, we Americans who got rid of kings for good are listening to biblical texts all originally written in a world which do nothing of the John Locke or the American Revolution. What do our readings, written first in a world so distant from us, and our deep ambivalence about power and authority have to say to us? Let me read again to you part of the text of the epistle today from, the, from Colossians, <coughs> excuse me. Christ is the image of the Invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He Himself is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him god was pleased to reconcile to himself all things whether on heaven or in uh, whether on earth or in heaven by making peace through the blood of his cross well then i'd suggest that the first thing to be learned from colossians is this there is a god and it is not us only god is god We are not the kings and queens of the universe. Second, every kind of power and authority was created through and for the Son of God. God's creative power in Christ gives every kind of legitimate power and authority. That does not mean, it means least of all, that the present powers and authorities of our world have some sort of divine license to do whatever they want. What it means is that every power and authority any one of us has—power of any kind at all—comes from God, is subject to God, exists to serve and reflect God's infinite goodness. The authority and dignity we bear is because God makes us in God's own image. The respect we owe others, and to their authority and dignity, is because they too are made in God's image, and we are accountable to God for how our power is used. Just to illustrate that, one of the greatest blessings in my life is that I was raised by parents who believed in their bones that their authority over me as their child was from God and subject to God. Now I am quite sure that it never once occurred to my mother that her authority over me was derived from the consent of the governed. She never asked me. My parents never doubted that their authority was genuine and valid, so I grew up in a secure universe. But they never doubted either that my dignity was genuine and valid too, for they knew that I had the same God as they did. We all alike were called to serve the one God who knew and loved and ruled each of us. They were not little strutting gods dominating me, nor were they self-doubting or guilty, doubting if they had the right to make me pick up my room. They were free to be my parents, not my peers, and I was free to be a child. But we all alike knew that neither my freedom nor my parents' authority was absolute, but all was in relationship to the one God. And so, in spite of all the mistakes which my folks' occasional failings and my own not-so-occasional wildness introduced, I did manage to learn to relate to authority with dignity and freedom. True authority and true freedom come out of relationship with God, even when people do not know that's the source, but it does help to know where it comes from. Third, God gives that authority and power to us for a purpose. God means for all things to hold together in Christ, that through Christ God might reconcile all things to God's self. Whatever power or authority you or I bear, it's not something we have the right to use to rule our own bit of the world to serve ourselves. It comes from God and it may only be used to God's purpose. That purpose is to knit the world up into a unity of wisdom, love, justice, and respect, in spite of all the powers that have broken off from God and which fight against God's goodness. Whatever power you or I have, even if it's just the power of a word we speak to a neighbor in our department building, or if it's the power of a major corporate office, or the power of a teenager who has some influence with her friends, God gave it to you and me to make the world reflect God's goodness even in the face of evil. We have no authority to pursue goals which are selfish, which demean or divide, which treat people like slaves or like gods, which make of the world whatever we want to make of it. God's authority has a purpose and all legitimate authority must share it. To hold the world together as Christ puts down all false authority, and in him to reconcile the world to God's self. Fourth, God exercises God's power through a very peculiar means, through the blood of the cross of Christ. It is not that God had no right to withstand evil with God's own infinite power. God did have that right. But that was not the way God took. That is clear in our reading from Luke. For Jesus to be king meant for him to sacrifice himself for the good of his people. His authority found its clearest embodiment by emptying himself out to save others. At the very least, that means for you and me that any legitimate authority we bear is to be exercised for the benefit of others, not just ourselves. The powerful drive of career, of competition, the drive for security or survival, all have to stand before God's ultimate authority. And we now know God's standard. Jesus died for us. We are called to leave ourselves in God's hands, trust to God for our future, and use our powers as they are meant to be used for the well-being of those around us who are made in God's image too in ways that tell the truth about who God is. Today on the Feast of Christ the King, we stand at the foot of the cross, looking up at our Lord. Jesus did not use his power to destroy the imperial officials or the troops or the religious leaders who nailed him there. His power came from God, and he put himself entirely in God's hands to fulfill God's purpose. But he made one decision hanging on the cross, a decision only a king could make. The thief asked, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And to him, King Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. That is our King Jesus, his power to reconcile. That is Christ's authority to hold all things together and make them new. That is the very power and authority which has drawn us here today, together today, forgiven, healed, reconciled. That is how you or I, who are called to share in his kingdom authority, are called to use our power, small or great, to share with him in the reconciliation of all things and all people to God and to each other. Christ's authority, his kingship, embraces us, and makes us whole. That very authority he shares with us. It's the power of love. It's the authority of God's infinite goodness. In the end, that's the only power and authority that's worth having. You and I share in it, and we're called to use it wherever God has put us, because Christ is King of all. Amen. Amen.